right, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalm 125. And we'll see how far we go. And who knows? Um, maybe, just maybe. Please don't stone me if I don't follow through on this. But maybe we can even end early enough to spend a little time in prayer. Psalm 125 is another song of ascents. And remember, we've been talking about this in Psalm 120 all the way through 134. These are the songs that they would sing as they made their way uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. And, uh, um, you know, just seeking the Lord, just asking God to work in their life. And, and these are so amazing. Psalm 125, and we'll see how far we get, but Psalm 125 in one sense is a psalm that says, hey, don't be moved. Don't be moved. You know, you're, you're going to be, man, there's, there's going to be, be this tug of war. Uh, the enemy's going to try to sidetrack you. He's going to try to make you a lukewarm Christian. He's going to try to make you a Christian where Jesus is on the outside trying to knock on the door of your heart to get into your life. He's going to move you out of your calling. He's going to do everything he can. The enemy's going to try to move you uh, to sin. And so in, in one sense, the way that I kind of, I was just, right now it came to me when we were doing worship, uh, Psalm 125 is like, don't be moved. But then Psalm 126 is kind of interesting. It says, but if you are moved, if for some reason you do fail, if you do fall, if you do kind of end up in prison or in, or in captivity, then come back. Return to the Lord. Return to your first love. And, and what joy it brings. You know, there's something even about understanding like the forgiveness of God. You know, remember the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? You know, you had the two sons. One, he was, he was straight edge. You know, he always did the right thing. He read his Bible. He prayed. He went to church. He didn't diss his dad. And, you know, but, but the guy, he didn't really have that, that, that heart of gratitude that, that he should have had, right? That he was representative of the Pharisees. But then there was the prodigal son, and he went his way, and he did his thing, and he wasted the, his, his, so much of his life. But, man, then one day, kind of like the light went on. And he went back to his father, and his father ran to him. And I have a hunch that he ended up like that woman in Luke chapter 7 who loved Jesus a whole lot more because of the fact that she had been forgiven of so much. And so in one sense, maybe we see it that way. Psalm 125, don't be moved. Psalm 126, if you are, then come back. And if you're here tonight and you're not on fire for God, then come back. Around Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. You know, in one sense, when I, when I look at this psalm, I see three types of people. In verse 1, it's those who trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. They're going to be like Mount Zion. They, they cannot be moved. And, and then in verse 4 are those who are good. Those who are good. And so... Maybe in one sense, you know, you come to the Lord and, and you live that life and you're trusting him. 
And then what ends up happening, and we're going to see it, is that you actually, you grow and you become like a Barnabas. He was a mature Christian. He was a good man. And, and you know, Jesus said in Luke 6.45, a good man out of the, you know, this heart that, that's good. He brings forth good words. You know, isn't that what you want? You want to eventually grow to where Jesus could describe you as a good man. You know, a good woman. So, you know, you're trusting in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord. And, and then those who are good. And, and then there's a third category of people in verse 5, are such as turn aside. They're, they're going to be like the wicked. They're going to be led astray. And so we want to be those who trust in the Lord, huh? Isn't that what we want? It says right here, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. You know, when I read of that passage right there, I think of Paul the Apostle. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we come back to this passage a lot. I think it's inspiring for us. How Paul the Apostle, you guys know this guy, huh? I mean, this guy was in love with Jesus Christ. This guy, he was used by God in such a mighty way. You know, I don't know it, it, how, how your life is. I, I pray that it's a great adventure. I know his was because he was always serving the Lord, you know. And so one day he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And every as he's going back to Jerusalem, everyone's telling him, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem because you know, the Holy Spirit is testifying in every city saying chains and tribulations await the person, you know, that owns this belt and you're going to go through trials and it's going to be tough and you shouldn't go there and you're going to get arrested. And, 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 you know, Paul's listening to all these people with, with well-intentioned words. But, but um, you know, like we read there, those who trust in the Lord, they're going to be like Mount Zion that cannot, that cannot be moved. And see, we're living in a world where there are many people moving away. There is this air of apostasy. So many people are being moved out of their calling, being moved uh, from their you know, life as a Christian. They're not you know, reading their Bible, praying. They're not going to church. They're not serving the Lord. And it's crazy, you know. And so it's cool and it's neat to see this promise that if you trust in the Lord, you won't be moved. And you're wondering, well, how does it work? And it works like this, that Paul the Apostle, he's, he's there all their time, don't go, don't go. But notice what he says in, in verse 24, even though, in verse 23, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, chains and tribulations await me, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of of God. You see, he, he trusted in the Lord. Yeah, you know, God, my, my life is in the Lord's hands. If I go to Jerusalem, um, you know, I know it's going to be tough, but that won't stop me. It won't stop me. You know, you go out and, and you know, the Lord calls you maybe to go witnessing, you know, to a certain group of people. Maybe you're going to hand out tracts to the high schoolers when they, get, when they come out and you're afraid. Well, what if they reject me? What if they you know, they beat me up. What if they sock me? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't move you from what God is calling you to do. What if I fail? It doesn't matter. 
Paul the Apostle wasn't afraid to get beat up, which happened to him. When you read the story there in the book of Acts, he ended up uh, getting beat up, um, but that was an opportunity for him to testify to the Jews. He ended up getting arrested and going to Rome, but that was an opportunity for him to testify to, to Governor Felix and Governor Festus and then King Agrippa and his wife. These people probably would have never heard the gospel had he not been arrested. Then he ends up going to prison, and while he's in prison, he writes Ephesians, he writes Philippians, he writes Colossians, he writes Philemon. He writes four books of the Bible, all because he trusted in the Lord. A lot of times, you know, we, we don't trust in the Lord. We want to play it safe. And what ends up happening is we're moved out of the calling that God has for our life. When you trust in the Lord, back in, in Psalms 125, those who trust in the Lord, they're like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. You know, there's a lot of cool promises uh, about this in the book of Psalms. Watch, turn to Psalm 16. I, I want you guys to turn in your Bibles. I, I, you can get lazy and just look at the overhead if you want. But, but you guys, I remember when I first got saved, my, my pastor, we didn't have all that kind of stuff. And we would always uh, turn to the different verses in the Bible. And then we ended up learning where the books are. It's kind of cool. Uh, but Psalm uh, 16, in, in verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. It, it was something that he did. The Lord was always there. He did it. I set the Lord there, and, and therefore I, I, I won't be moved. If you go over to Psalm uh, 21, look what it says in, in verse 7. For the, the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Again, trusting in the Lord. Look at Psalm 62 in, in, in verse 6. It says, he only, and that's me, that, to me, that's important. Um, I thank God for the people in my life, but, but it's he only. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. I mean, the devil's going to come. He's going to try to knock you down. You know, the world's going to try to make you distracted. God has his plan for your life. A lot of people don't finish the race. A lot of people get sidetracked. A lot of people get busy and distracted, and they just they get moved. But because you trust in the Lord, because you set him before you always, that won't happen to you. You know, the Bible says that you're going to be like Mount Zion. Now, that, that's an interesting concept. It's really, a, to me, it's a colossal concept. You will be like Mount Zion. Mount Zion was this hill in, in Jerusalem. It was the city of David, captured by David. You read about it in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5. And so it's built on a rock. Um, it's the highest hill in Jerusalem, but then it's surrounded by mountains. And Mount Zion, it, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating way that this mountain escalates throughout the Bible. It started off as the, the hill there in the Jebusite territory, captured by David, eventually becomes synonymous with uh, Jerusalem, and eventually synonymous with 
uh, Judah, and then Israel, and then all the Jews. And then as you continue to journey through the Bible, uh, you'll see that Zion speaks of the church. Zion speaks of um, the kingdom of God. And then it's so cool, when you go all the way to the book of Revelation chapter 14, you'll see Zion is there in heaven. And, and what we're saying is that, you know, this is what our prayer is. Lord, I, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe in your ability, your reliability, your omnipotence. I'm not going to manipulate and, you know, catch the you know, bull by the horns. I'm not going to do it myself. I am going to trust in you, and as we trust in the Lord, we won't be moved. We're going to be like Mount Zion. It abides forever. And there you'll, you'll be, you know, finishing the race. You're, there you'll be in, in heaven. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. You know, the other day... Um, I was sharing out of Psalm 91 uh, at Calvary Chapel LAX. As a matter of fact, let's turn there to Psalm 91. And uh, I was talking to this lady afterwards, a really cool uh, sister, man. And uh, she was telling me that Psalm, you know, Psalm 91, that's 911. That's, that's my verse, you know. Look what it says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Look at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. You see, when you read this right here, you guys, what you're, what you're reading is that there, you're doing your part. You're, you're there in the secret place. You're there abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, and, and He's protecting you. You know, when you read uh, Psalm 125, you trust, you're trusting in the Lord. That, that's all. You're not, you're not perfect. None of us are, but you're, you're believing. You're keeping the faith. You're trusting in Him, and He ends up protecting you. And that's the thing that we're reading right here. There's going to be a balance here in this whole thing in which we have to do our part. And again, it's not salvation based on works. It's just a, a trust. It's an, it's an abiding in Him. And as we do, we're surrounded, we're protected, and God keeps us to the very end. Verse 3, uh, Psalm 125, it says, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Now, one of the things you'll see in all of these psalms is that they have a heart for Israel. Of course, they have a heart for Jerusalem. Uh, they, and they don't want these kings because when you study the history of, of Israel, you'll see sometimes those kings, those wicked kings, they did uh, rule in, in Jerusalem. So, so verse 3 is kind of like, Lord, don't let it happen and, and, and don't let it linger. For, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land. And, that, and that's the key, that eventually one day, that it, that it won't happen, that the wicked won't rule over Israel for the rest of their history. But that one day, Lord, the scepter would return 
to, to you, Lord, and, and we're going to see as we look into our next psalm when they come back, that eventually, you know, the, the Israelites regain control of Jerusalem. They regain control of Israel. The way that God brought them back, the way that Jesus will rule there. Because if that were the case, if the enemy was allowed to do his thing and have his way, then what ends up happening, what would happen is the righteous would become unrighteous. You know, it's interesting when you study the, the nation of Israel. You guys know that in 1948, they became a nation again, right? And so in 1948, there was a population, a total population of about maybe 90, a little less than 90,000 people in Israel. But boom, the moment they became a nation again, 650,000 Jews returned to Israel. Imagine that. And that, boom, right overnight. And then after that, as it continued to progress, and you see the way they multiply, and you see the way they're continuing to come back in the land, today there are, are 7.4 million Jews in Israel. Why? Because God did not allow the, the wicked, I mean, the rest of their history was not the wicked ruling in Jerusalem. It, it was the Lord. And we're going to see this more so in our next chapter. But notice what he says next. He says uh, in verse 4, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and, and to those who are upright in their hearts. What's the psalmist trying to do here? I, 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 I think that He's, he's kind of trying to tell us uh, a couple of things. Number one, trust in the Lord. Whatever you're going through, trust in the Lord. And I think, number two, I, I think he's also trying to tell us to do good. He's praying to the Lord, Lord, you do good to those who are good. And, and so what I see uh, is those who trust in the Lord, like the Lord is like their barrier. And to those who do good, the Lord is like the blesser. And that he will bless your life. That he will not withhold anything that is good from those who walk uprightly. And I'm telling you this, you guys, when you're obedient to the Lord, it's not in vain. You know, some of you single people, you're waiting until you get married before you have sexual relations. God will bless you. You know, you guys right here trying to stay pure as single men or whatever the case may be. You're, you're trying to love on your kids, even though sometimes it's hard. Whatever the case may be, you know, you're just trying to do good with your family and in your job and you're working hard and you're reading your Bible and sometimes you don't feel like praying, but you do it. You do it anyways. You do good. You give to the Lord the things that belong to the Lord and you're serving him. You're doing good. What he's saying right here is, Lord, those who, who, who are good, they're, they're good. Lord, do good things to them. Now, now again, when you look at this, uh, a lot of times people will right away say, well, no, th there's none who do good. No, not one. It's mentioned in the Proverbs. It's mentioned in the book of Romans. But um, in Acts 11.24, uh, turn there real quick. The Bible descri describes Barnabas as a good man. In Acts 11, 
in verse 24, uh, 23, it says, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. I tell you what, one thing about Barnabas, he was an encourager, huh? Remember how he encouraged uh, uh, Paul and, and Saul? The guys were saying, no, he's not, you know, real, really uh, a genuine convert. And Barnabas came and took him under his wing. When Barnabas went and started the work in Antioch uh, of Syria, he needed some help. And so he goes and he tracks down Saul, who was in Tarsus back home. Who knows, maybe he would never have gotten really involved in ministry were it not for Barnabas. But, but he was a good man. He encouraged people. He was full of the Holy Spirit, which is how you could be a good man. And, uh, and he was full of faith. And so, you guys, just encouraging you, um, I know that, that that's my desire. Lord, one day, I know ten times in the Bible... We read of individuals who were what we would call, uh, I guess you could say, uh, a good man. There's a couple I want you guys to turn to. First one is in Proverbs chapter 12. And notice what it says in verse 2, that a good man obtains favor from the Lord. A good man obtains favor from the Lord. And then over in Proverbs chapter 14, look what it says in Proverbs 14b. I, I like this. A good man will be satisfied from above. You know, and, and so it's not us. It's not us. There is none who does good, no, not one. None of us are good. If it's just me, if it's just you, we, we are not good. We are weak. We are warped. We are wretched. We are wicked. But when God begins to work in your heart, it talks about the upright in heart there. When God begins to clean your heart, when God, God begins to enlarge your heart, God begins to do work in you, then this is what happens, man. And, and you become this, this good man who finds favor from the Lord, this good man who's satisfied from the things that, that are above, this good man, this good woman that God blesses. You know, sometimes I think that when we go through life and, and we're, we're trying to be obedient to the Lord, you know, sometimes I have a feeling that some say, well, it's like in vain, you know, that I don't know if this is really worth it. All I know is that you continue to sow that good seed, continue to do that, those good works, and you watch how the day will come when you will reap that benefit. See, there's three types of people in this psalm in which God is trying to keep us from being moved. It's the one who trusts in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. And then secondly, those who are good. They've grown to this place where there's this consistency where, you know, Paul the Apostle said... You know, it is no, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me. It's not me. I've been crucified. It's the Lord. John said that, that, that he must increase, I must decrease. 
it's not you. It's the Lord. And when that happens, you know, God here describes that individual as, as good. And the thing that we have to be careful of is the third type of person described here in verse 5. It says that as for, for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. And that's a heavy verse, you guys. Uh, those who, who turn aside. You know, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, uh, we have a warning there if you want to turn there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Notice what it says in verse 32. Therefore, uh, Moses says, you, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. In, in Joshua chapter 23, if you would, let's turn there. Moses warns the people, and Joshua warns the people. In Joshua chapter 23, in verse 6, Therefore be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of law of Moses, of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. You know, some people say, well, it's not possible for a Christian to turn aside. And, and I don't know uh, where your theology is. I'm not sure if you guys have kind of like solidified yourself and your stance and maybe you're here and you're like, I'm a Calvinist and I don't believe that you can turn aside. All I know, you guys, is uh, I, I, when I read the Bible, we're free. When I, when I read the Bible, there are multiple warnings to every single person, you know, to, to stay on track, to not turn aside. You know, and you keep, and you got to be courageous to do it, Joshua says. You got to be courageous, but you keep doing what's right. Because what ends up happening over the years, and Shelly and I have been walking with the Lord for many years, so we've been walking with the Lord longer than a lot of you have been alive, right? <laughs> Double the time for some of you guys. And all I'm saying is that we've seen a lot of people who used to come to church that don't go to church anymore. Now they're in bars. Now they're in jail. Now they're living under bridges without teeth. I mean, there are so many crazy things that are going on because they didn't really, when they were there, they didn't really have that conviction, man, to stay on track. They didn't really take heed to the warnings. And it usually begins in subtle ways. Subtle ways, you know? A little compromise here where, where, where the exact opposite should be happening. It's not like, well, how close to the edge can I go without falling over? No. You know, how far away can I get from that? How obedient how holy can I become? You know, not, not that you're a Pharisee. It's just, I want to be like Jesus. And so you just start, man, you're, you're in the word. You're keeping the word. You're living the word. You know, the Sunday night we were talking about how to keep the fire burning. And, you know, Henry mentioned the quiet time. And we did talk about that. We talked about prayer. We talked about how when they would have the uh, fire in the, the holy place, they would have to come and they would have to keep that, they would have to light that fire with oil every single day. Every day. You can't take a day off from being a Christian. 
you want that fire to burn. You know, because the Bible talks about how there was supposed to be a perpetual fire. But I think what happens a lot of times is we, you know, we just were not filled, filled with, with the Spirit. And I was talking to my wife about this, and you guys are probably going to think I'm weird, but that's okay. You can't stone me. I'm going on vacation, so I'm going to be gone for a while. And by the time I come back, you'll probably forget. Anyways, <laughs> I was telling her, I said, you know, I just don't want to sin. I just don't want to sin ever. I don't want to sin. And I feel like sometimes, you know, people are okay with sinning. I don't want to sin. And if, like, I, I find myself, or, you know, in, in interacting with her, or the family, and let's just say I have a short fuse, or let's just say I get mad, or let's just say I do something that's not, that's a sin, then I, I almost, I was telling her, like, I just want to go back to my prayer closet and pray, fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit, because I know that if you're, you're filling me, that I won't sin. And I, and I know we can't reach a state of sinless perfection. I understand that. But, but I feel like if we're filled with the Spirit, if we're walking under His influence, then our words will be kind, then our responses will be wise. Then, you know, we're going to be used by God to build others up. We're going to give good counsel. There's going to be a lot of cool things. We're going to, in every area of our life, we're going to give to God what belongs to God, our time, our talent, our treasure, our temple, everything. You know, and so... If that's not happening, then don't accept it. It's like, go back and pray until you're filled with the Spirit. You know, what we find right here is God is just warning them, listen, don't, don't turn aside as such as turn aside to their crooked ways. The Lord shall lead them away, notice, with the workers of iniquity. And you read Luke thirteen twenty seven, and it actually talks about, Jesus talks about that, how one day he's going to say, depart from me, you guys who were workers of iniquity. So Psalm 125 is kind of a warning. You guys don't be moved. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Okay, live the life. Let it be a living trust. But then Psalm 126 talks about what happens when we come back. Notice it again. It's a song of ascents. And it says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. That our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless, there, there's no doubt about it, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And of course, this is a, a psalm written um, probably during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when the people came back to the land. And it says right here um, that when the Lord brought them back, the captivity of Zion back, uh, we were like those who, who dream. And, and you guys know the history, right? 722, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was carried away, captivity to Assyria. 
the Assyrians were uh, cruel people. Uh, they would come and they would gouge out your eye. They would cut off your arm. They would put hooks in your mouth. They would maim the people. The Assyrians, they would take the leaders and they would impale them in front of the, uh, front of the city gates so that everyone could see how cruel they were. So in 722, that happened to the northern kingdom, carried away to Israel, and then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and they surrounded the city uh, to the point where uh, we were talking about this earlier. At one time, the children of Israel were eating their delicacies. They were having good food. Now they're eating their kids. The Babylonians came in and they raped the women. They ravished them, it says in Lamentations. And they took them away into captivity. Now, when you study, you know, the history of, of these nations, uh, the, you know, whatever, the Edomites, the, the, the Jebusites, all those guys that, are, that were there, they're gone. They were assimilated into the nations, right? But, but we know that God promised, and 70 years later, imagine what it was like coming back to the land. Imagine that. Right here, he says it was like a dream. It, w it was like a dream come true, you know? I mean, this, I don't know if you guys, you know, can capture that, that whole concept of coming back to the land and uh, how amazing it must have been, I mean, having been in captivity and just knowing this relationship that they had with God and they were God's people, you know, but to come back to the land, the laughter, it talks about the singing, it talks about the worship. And, and I'm telling you this, because just in case you're here and you need to come back to the Lord, come back. I just, I trip out when I read about Ephesus. They had left their first love. God is just saying, come back. You know, it's not just for those who are out there doing their thing. I think it's for people sometimes who are even in here and, and their hearts are, are not where they really belong. When you come back to the Lord, it is just so amazing. You know, the, the joy, the laughter. It says right there, um, you know, the, their tongue is singing. And then, you know, they said the nations are all talking. Wow, oh, the Lord's done great things for them, you know. It'll be so obvious. It's so apparent. And then they say it themselves, the Lord has done great things for us. And, and we're, we're just so glad, you know, when that happens. It's like, like David said, think about it. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Do you guys remember how it was when you first got saved? Do you remember that? For some of you here, maybe it was just this amazing thing, this joy, this life, this closeness, you know? And I think what can happen is we think, well, that's not, you know, where I, I, I got to stay. It kind of fades away. Now I know how to do Christian stuff. Now I have experience. Now I know how to go through the, the motions of it. And you accept that as doctrinal. And listen, God's more personal than that. It, it shouldn't fade. The fire should grow. And you come back to that place of your first love. You know, and it's so cool because even those, sometimes the prodigals that come back, 
you know, it, it's an encouragement to you, you know, and it's an encouragement to those out there. Luke 15, and, uh, you know, when you come back, what a blessing. Israel comes back, and like I told you guys, what a witness that was then, and even now Israel has come back to the land. I mean, so many people, everybody knows that's amazing. That's a, that's a, a fulfilled prophecy. And, and notice, though, in verse 4, it says, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now, what he's saying now is like some have come back, but not all. Remember when, uh, when Israel returned under the leadership of uh, Zerubbabel, you know, there was a, a handful that came back, and then eventually Ezra, there were more that came back, and with Nehemiah, some came back. But there was still a lot that didn't, belong, that didn't come back. And what we're saying is, Lord, I'm back. Now, Lord, bring them all back. Bring them all back. Even though they, they've gone through some difficult times. And that's how he closes the chapter. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who can, and as a matter of fact, he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know, and, and when I read this right here, there, there's a lot that I think of. Uh, weeping may endure for a, a night, but joy comes in the morning. And to me, that, that's uh, 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 people going through uh, difficulties, going through trials, but they, they don't lose heart. They don't fall away. You know, uh, a lot of times people get hit hard and it rocks their world to where um, I remember reading a story recently, Adrian Rogers, you know, just a godly man serving the Lord like with a reckless abandon, serving the Lord. When you read his story, Adrian Rogers, this guy, when he got called into the ministry, uh, he was in the football field one day and he's asking God, use my life, use my life, use my life. And he's praying, use my life. Then he got on his knees in the football field and he said the same thing, use my life, use my life, use my life. And then he felt like it wasn't low enough, so he got on the, fa on the face on the football field. He said, use my life, use my life. And he still felt it wasn't low enough, so you know what he did? He dug a hole in the ground, and he put his face in the ground. Use my life. God used his life. And as he's serving the Lord with just this reckless abandon, his son dies. His son dies. And so, you know, this is a crazy thing. Prior to his son's death, he had been bi visiting this guy in the hospital. And the guy in the hospital wasn't like a committed Christian. So, but, you know, the Lord was laying on his heart to visit this guy in the hospital. And so, um, after this all happened, Adrian Rogers' son dies. He goes back and visits that guy in the hospital again. And remember, this guy is not yet a Christian. And he, and he looks at Adrian Rogers and he said, you're still serving God? After what happened to your son? And Adrian Rogers, you know, I, I don't know exactly how he worded it, but he just, he said, absolutely. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I'll see my son again. God always has a way of working it out for good. 
You know, you're, you're sowing in tears. You've you got to see it that way. You know, uh, God is so good. No matter, no matter the reason you're crying, and I don't know why, why you're crying, but those tears, they're liquid prayers. Those tears, uh, God is aware of every single one of them. He keeps them in a bottle. Those tears are like sowing, you know, this seed. And in one sense, I was thinking about it, not necessarily maybe the tears are seeds, but the seeds have been sown, and you've heard the word. You've heard it, but it's not enough. It needs to be watered with tears of suffering, tears of trials, the difficulties that we go through. And when you allow those tears to fall on that ground where your word has been sown, it's so, it's so cool. Two things happen. Number one, there is joy. There is joy. I'm telling you guys, those of you who are in the valley, God's going to lift you up. God's going to restore your life. God's going to bless you. God will, he'll, you'll sing again. You'll smile again. You'll laugh again. I promise you. He'll bring you joy. But the, the, it's even, there's something even better than that. And you want to know what it is? It's that God will bring people to Jesus. Because that's what he talks about right here. He talks about these sheaves that, that come in. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And you guys know what, what sheaves are, right? I think we have a picture of, of sheaves. Or the, the grain is all bundled up. And, and, th and that, that person got saved because of the trial that you went through. And that person got saved, I think of Nadine, Alvarez. So many people got saved because our sister got cancer and died. And all the trials that we go through in life, it brings us to our knees and it changes you and then people get saved. I tell you this, you know, the, the suffering that we go through, the pain always has a purpose. And so praise God for that, you guys. Whatever the trials are, whatever the struggles are, I, I pray that, that you would know that God will give you joy one day. You've got to stay focused on him, though. Don't, get, don't turn aside. Don't, don't turn out to be a, a faker or a poser. Okay, don't, don't turn aside. God will bring a great harvest through all your heartache. Because like we talked about earlier, um, remember uh, if you trust in the Lord, you're going to be like Mount Zion. You won't be moved as the mountains surround Jerusalem. Remember Job? You guys remember Job? The, the devil came and he was talking to God about Job and, you know, the Lord said, hey, have you checked out my servant Job? And there's no one like him. He fears God, shuns evil. And the devil said, well, of course, you got all this. You got mountains all around him. You got these hedges all around him. I can't touch him. And what, what did the Lord say? Go ahead and touch him. <laughs> and man, all these crazy things happened. But as a result of that story, I can't tell you. There, there, there's no, the sheaves that Job brings to heaven, the, the encouragement that he has shared all along the way through his life and his struggles, it, it's innumerable.
It's beyond our understanding. And so, you guys, as we're, we're, we're crying, the tears are flowing, I, I pray that you'd be encouraged. I, I pray that we won't be moved, you guys. Don't get moved. But if for some reason you, you, you have been moved and you're not where you belong, then I pray that you would return from your captivity today.